Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast, where we explore the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics around the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, Diabetics Doing Things founder and 11-year type 1 diabetic. Help raise awareness for Diabetics Doing Things by sharing this with your diabetic friends. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. Tag a type 1 friend today. This week's guest is Zara Ramsey Nortley, a type 1 diabetic and current Miss Galaxy England. We talk about the struggles of doing things for yourself, the improvements in diabetes care in the last 25 years, and she even teaches me a new abbreviation for the word brilliant in our interview. Hello and welcome to Diabetics Doing Things. Uh, we're here at episode 10, and my special guest today is Zara Ramsey Nortley from uh, all the way in the UK. Welcome. Hiya, thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for joining us today uh, on this great Sunday afternoon, early evening for you. Uh, and Zara, uh, you are a dental surgeon, uh, but not only that, uh, you took it a step further and you are the current Miss Galaxy England, um, and you'll be uh, for 2016, so congratulations. Um, Thank you. And we're super excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be here. No, it's a fantastic. I'm, I'm so happy to have heard about diabetics doing things. It's a fantastic project and I'm glad to be part of it. And so you, uh, you know, just going back to a little bit of the background uh, on you, you've been a type 1 diabetic since you were three years old. Um, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, for most diabetics, they have that moment where they've been diagnosed and they were di- weren't diabetic before, but are now. Uh, talk a little bit about what it's like to sort of be a lifelong uh, diabetic. Well, um, yeah, so I was diagnosed when I was three. Um, so as you said, I, I wasn't really aware of kind of life before diabetes, so to speak. Um, most people would expect that that would make things a lot easier, um, not having to have any drastic or dramatic change in life. Um, but I think to an extent I've, I've maybe struggled a little bit um, with things being that way because I've never had to think of it as anything serious. Um, and while diabetes is, well, it's far easier to control and to manage nowadays um, with eating to match your, with, or injecting to match your carbohydrates rather than having to chase your insulin um, by, yeah, stuffing <laughs> stuffing your face with, with cereal, etc., as I did as a kid. Um, I don't think I've ever taken taken my diabetes as seriously as I needed to, and and because of that, I've had a few difficulties with getting things back under control at times. Well, and I think there's a challenge, obviously, when you're you know so young. Um, you know, nobody could expect a um, you know a regular three year old to you know monitor the amount of carbohydrates that they're taking and <laughs> uh, counteract that with the right dosage of their medication. So. Um, Early on, do you, you know, I mean, as early as you may remember, what was it like for you and your family uh, sort of adjusting to that time period? Um, I like, well, from what my parents have said, I seem to have got on with it quite well from the beginning. I mean, I was doing, doing my own blood tests and taking my own insulin from the age of about four. Um, my mum does say, though, it did affect our relationship for a little while because she was with me more of the time um, at, at that age and she was the one having to test my blood sugars and, and to do the injections and I couldn't understand why <laughs> she was doing something that wasn't so pleasant. Um, whereas, yeah, so it, it was a stressful time um, for, I suppose, for myself, which I, I don't remember, but for my mum as well, um, having to to suddenly, yeah, have to take control of a condition that isn't all that well 
known, I suppose. Everyone knows about type 2 diabetes, but not so much about the ins and outs of type 1. So, yeah, it was a big learning curve for all of us, I think. Yeah, and I think, you know, especially in the United States and the UK, I mean, the numbers on uh, people with type 2 diabetes compared to type 1 are obviously drastically different. But I think, you know, that's part of what we are trying to do here with diabetics doing things is to say, hey, uh, these are two very different diseases. Um, and even though they have virtually the same name and affect the same part of the body, the treatment is totally different. Um, and the circumstances by which you're diagnosed are totally different. And, you know, the people are all obviously different, too. So I think those stories of, um, you know, when you don't know a whole lot about diabetes until you're forced to know a whole lot about it, um, is, it's very interesting dynamic, I think. Definitely, definitely. I mean, one thing that still gets me is when someone says, oh, but you don't look like a diabetic. And you think, right. well, what on earth is a diabetic supposed to look, or a type 1 diabetic supposed to look like? So, yeah, I'm glad that we can just keep uh, raising awareness of the condition and what, what it means and, and also letting people know that it's something that we can control. It's not something that you need to kind of feel sorry for us or pity us about. It's just one of those things. Right, and I think, you know... Almost everyone that I've encountered, um, you know, they say that they get the similar reactions from people when whenever they're at a birthday party and eating a piece of cake, someone's always like, oh, are you allowed to have that? Um, um, or you, you don't look like a diabetic or you don't seem like a diabetic or you're not like any diabetic I've ever met before. So it's um, it, it's very interesting, that education piece. And I think even extends into uh, people in the medical profession, obviously, um, you know, not every diagnosis is uh, is like a peak experience, you know, with a with a top notch uh, doctor or endocrinologist. It's, it's just uh, largely depends on where you're located. Um, so I, I don't know what was that. What was that like for you as a kid? Um, you know, coming, growing up, and you know, being having to check your blood sugar and give yourself a shot, and like you said, do some rather unpleasant things uh, that you uh, wouldn't have done otherwise. Um. I have to say, I'm, I'm so glad that control or taking control of, di of type 1 diabetes has changed so much over the past, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years, because I was diagnosed almost 25 years ago where um, you would take a set, um, it was a mixed insulin, there was a, some half long acting and half short acting, so those doses didn't really change much day to day and you're almost constantly playing a catch up game. Whereas now there's so much more freedom and you can literally eat whatever you want as long as you're paying attention to how much, yeah, to your carb counting and, and making sure you're matching your dose to that. I mean, um, in the morning I would have the same breakfast every single day and before bed I would have a bowl of cereal just in case there was any excess insulin um, <laughs> in my evening dose. It was, it, it was very regimental, but at the same time I suppose my control... Um, was a lot a lot better then um because I, I i didn't have that i mean where i struggled was through my teens and i had a lot more freedom and then i had to really take control and, and make sure i was taking um counting everything very carefully and matching that insulin up but you get there it becomes second nature doesn't it it does and i think you know you're not alone in that um you know very similar with myself you know as you move out of the house and you go to college or uh, you know, start to make your own choices as a teen. Uh, you sort of go through that learning curve anyway, uh, and then you're just adding on, uh, you know, diabetic control uh, with that. It's it's just an extra layer of a challenge. But I think um, 
you know, the more I've talked to diabetics and like the extra things that we think about, I think it just ultimately makes us better prepared for adult life in the long run. Absolutely. I completely agree. Completely. <laughs> so uh, you are a dental surgeon. Uh, how did, uh, did, did your diabetes ha play any part uh, into you, uh, you know, pursuing a field helping people or, uh, you know, in the, in the medical industry? Um, I come from a, a family of doctors, actually. My dad, my sister, my aunt, all of them, they're all medics. And I always assumed that that would be the path I would go into. Um, I was quite interested in endocrinology as well. Um, but then I realized, realistically, I, I enjoyed having a social life. Um, and the, the, extent, the training with the nights and the um, very long shifts, I, I find it difficult to put myself first at times. And I think... Um, a career such as medicine would have probably affected my my diabetic control possibly for the worst um, because yeah I end up putting everyone else first and I'd, I'd, I'd find that I'd probably end up missing my insulin or um, or not eating quite when I want to so I think dentistry I, I enjoy that it's still very flexible you're helping people um, and your help uh, or the effects that you have on someone's um, health um, slumps often uh, are often a lot more immediate, which I really enjoy. You kind of build a long-term rapport with your patients rather than just getting them out of um, <laughs> issues for a short amount of time. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and you can sort of build those relationships over time. Definitely. Uh, you said something really interesting about uh, sometimes you find it difficult to put yourself first. Uh, that's something that I definitely uh, I echo uh, that sentiment a lot. I think. It's so much easier for me to get motivated for a project if I'm helping someone else out. Um, <laughs> but I find like the minute that I'm working on a project for myself, there's a, a TV show that needs to be watched or there's a, there's a nap that needs to be taken. Uh, and, I, you know, I don't know if that's uh, I'm sure that has nothing to do with my diabetes, but that's an interesting place to be and an interesting place to find motivation. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you've said that, because sometimes I think, is that a normal way to feel? But yes, when you you find it when you are helping someone else or motivating someone else, you do stay much more focused than when it's for your own benefit. Why is that? I don't know. I think for me, sometimes <laughs> it's like, uh, I, I don't want to let anybody down. So maybe that's, uh, you know, I know if they're counting on me for something, um, you know, I want to make sure that I do a really good job for them. But at the same time, you know, I really, maybe a year ago, a uh, year and a half ago, I just, I had looked at all the things that I had been doing and uh, you know, when I was most efficient, I was like, wow, when I'm helping other people with their own projects, um, I'm very efficient and very, and I deliver, you know, really good results. But as soon as I have something for myself to do, I just put it off and procrastinate. So uh, really over the last year and a half, been uh, sort of a personal project, just working on, hey, you know, work on your own stuff and treat yourself like you would treat somebody else. Definitely. As they say, you can't pour from an empty cup, can you? That's so. right. You can't. You've got to make sure that you're <laughs> you're looking after yourself as well. Um. So uh, let's let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, let's talk about Miss Galaxy. Um. I know you. Uh. You are the the current Miss Galaxy England. Uh. So tell us a little bit about that competition and sort of where that came from and that motivation and uh. You know when what's your what's the next step for you. Right, so um, the grand final for the Miss England competition was um, February uh, last month and the preparations, honestly, I think I was preparing for about four month, months solid. Um, what's interesting or what a lot of people don't realise about, um, about 
beauty pageants or pageantry is it's not simply just walking onto stage in a pretty dress um, and having your hair done and, and, and smiling with the judges. It's, there is so much preparation that goes into it, preparing for the interview portion. You're required to make a number of appearances um, beforehand. And of course, it helps, um, especially for interview, if you have a platform and, and, and goals for if you do end up taking the title. Um, my specific platform, of course, is raising awareness of type 1 diabetes, simply because not enough people know um, what the condition actually involves. And automatically, uh, as you said before, yeah, they, you'll be a party and someone will be asking if you should have that slice of cake or saying, oh, but you, you don't look like a type like like a diabetic at all. And um, I think raising awareness of the condition, firstly, um, for also for, for health and safety reasons, um, and also to uh, um, raise awareness of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, um, which I know there's a branch in the States as well as in the UK, um, and the work they do, because they are working so hard on, on, on coming up with uh, um, ways of treating and ultimately curing type 1 diabetes. So, yeah, something very close to my heart. And uh, the JDRF does awesome work. Um, I actually um, have been more involved lately uh, with the Dallas chapter here in Texas um, uh -huh. and sort of getting involved in some of those events as well. So um, definitely want to give a big shout out to them. Um, so awesome. you, So your platform is Type 1 Diabetes Awareness. Um, what are some of the things, um, you know, as you went through that process um, that either people asked you or, or uh, you know, some people that you've been involved with and sort of the response from both maybe the diabetic community as well as just the community overall? Pageantry in the UK isn't nearly what it is in, in the States. So it still has, um, well, society still has a very funny view of it. And I think... Um, me being a dental surgeon and competing in pageants raises plenty of questions in its own right. Right. People, yeah. Um, but what's nice about it, I, I just love, um, I love that it gives you a kind of a, a reason to get on with things that you would want to be involved in, such as charity work um, that you usually don't find time to, to get involved with. Um, so I do enjoy the, yeah, I enjoy that side of the, of the competition as well as meeting all the cool people that you meet along the way, um, either through appearances and actually at the, at the competition final as well. Um, yeah, just really, really amazing girls who are really motivated in whichever branch it is that they've taken an interest to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what kind of, who, uh, did you have a moment where you found and met a person uh, that you got kind of starstruck or who's been your uh, most uh, exciting person that you've met throughout this process? Oh gosh, that's... <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a loaded question, maybe. <laughs> Do I have to say you? <laughs> oh, no, 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 please no, don't. No, I'm playing. Um, that's the thing, it just, if you put yourself out there enough, you really do meet some really interesting characters. And as we've said, I think I found your Instagram account through um, through one of the hashtags that I'd added um, to one of my pageant things. And... Um, and yeah, it's just the more you, the more effort and attention you put in, the the more you get out from the experience. Um, in terms of actual people, goodness, um, I was interviewed by BBC Radio Manchester, and the BBC is our big broader broadcasting company and the British broadcasting company. Um, and that was a fantastic opportunity to speak to, um, uh, yeah, lots of people, well, speak to a, a wide audience in the northwest of England about pageantry and also about type 1 diabetes. 
I'm a big fan of the BBC, um, and especially with their Netflix collaborations. Uh, ah! <laughs> I've been waiting for season three of Peaky Blinders for like a year and a half. I'm losing hope. <laughs> that's, a, that's a while to wait. I hope it they do make a season three for you. I know. I'm keeping my fingers crossed over here. It's a candlelight vigil at this point. Oh, dear. Um, you mentioned Instagram and, um, and, you know, the use of hashtags to kind of get involved with the community. Um, personally, and speaking from personal experience, uh, I've found so many people and so many different accounts, um, just through Instagram to sort of organically, uh, of, you know, a lot of type one diabetics worldwide going through the same things or, you know, trying to build a community and, uh, trying to meet other diabetics who are going through the same things as they are, um, What's that experience been like for you? I have to say it's been a good one. Um, for years and years and years, I shied away from anything diabetic related. I mean, um, there were Daphne. Do you, do you call it Daphne in the States? The um, dose adjustment for normal eating? Uh, we might, but I've never heard it. So I, I'm not, I can't speak for everyone, but I've never, oh. I've never heard of Daphne. Yeah, so um, that was the kind of that was the program that I went on um, to learn how to adjust my insulin um, for my meals, um, and I've always avoided going up, going to the, the the meetings for that because I just felt I don't know. In a way, they those kind of meetings made me feel a little bit like a failure. The people that would always turn up were the ones who were struggling to get their A one Cs from six seven to six point five, and I was there um, with an A1C of something like nine at the time, and I, I, it made me feel awful, and it was just so off-putting. Um, but through Instagram and Twitter, um, you really do discover people who are just getting on with type 1 diabetes, and they have their highs, and they have their lows, but it's not who they are. They don't define their lives by by diabetes. Um there's one particular girl that I follow on on Instagram, and we've yeah we had a good a good few chats now. Um, and she's very much into her sports. She does some um, I think she's a pole fitness instructor, so she has got muscles for days, and she just wouldn't wouldn't ever let anything to do with her diabetes get in the way of her her life and her hobbies. And I I love that, and it's great to meet inspirational people like that. And I hope that I can be an inspiration to others as well. Oh, absolutely. And you're absolutely well on your way uh, to doing that. And I think like what you said, you know, they, people have their highs and their lows and they're not trying to hide behind a, an A1C number. Uh, you know, they're just real people out there who are trying to do what they love to do and also have diabetes on top of that. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about the, you know, when I think about the idea behind what I'm trying to do with diabetics doing things is sort of that exact thing it's like these are they're amazing people out there um who maybe like a regular day to a normal person might not seem that interesting but to somebody with diabetes like making it through a day where you just have to run a bunch of errands and go to your job and maybe go to the gym uh, and you're keeping your blood sugar in balance and making sure you're eating at the right time that's a victory those uh, and those can be exciting and I think yeah. that's, you know, trying to get away from that feeling of, oh, well, you have to have this perfect A1C for you to be a really, quote, good diabetic. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's the, as you said, being a good diabetic is, is, is managing the highs and the lows, literally, um, and, and still living a normal life. That's what it's all about. Sorry, you've just reminded me of something. Um, one thing that I... Uh, 
I learned through my pageant prep. I mean, I, I was at the gym almost every night and I kept hypoing. And no matter what I did, I adjusted my insulin. I'd have a big bowl of cereal before bed and I was really struggling. So um, that's just, it's one of the, my, my small victories, I suppose, over the last few months was learning how to completely readjust everything to my new newfound um, healthy, active lifestyle. Um, so yeah, something I've, I've put on my blog. <laughs> A memory for myself well isn't that interesting you know sometimes uh you know a lot so much about being a diabetic is about routine um but as you know you know in different phases of your life you have different routines so you have to change uh, not only you know your approach to those different tasks but also the way that you're uh, i'm not sure if you do you use a pump no it's something oh. i'm literally um it's something i'm having i'm starting next month Due to meet with the nurse because I've been injecting, yeah, or well, uh, my whole my whole life now, and um, I think uh, using a pump will really benefit me. It'll just give me a little bit more freedom. Um, oh, I'm a big fan of mine. I have a I have a Medtronic Mini Med, and um, uh-huh. I know there there are so many different kinds of them out there. But um, I, you know, for example, when you were talking about you know changing your routine and working out at night, uh, I recently did, and I'm doing right now a very strict, uh, very clean uh, diet. So, you know, almost no carbs, no sugars, um, you know, no grains. So just a lot of meat and vegetables and water. And um, it's been great. My blood sugars are super great and I don't spike hardly ever and I use way less insulin. But part of that was, you know, going through and adjusting my basal rates. So the drip that I get all day. Uh, because I was dry, dropping into my hypos all the time because I wasn't, uh, you know, those spikes that my body had gotten used to weren't there anymore. So, yeah. you know, it was cool to see. It's like, oh, well, this is having a real impact on, you know, the way that I'm controlling my diabetes just from what I'm eating. Definitely. that That's what I found um, over the last few months. It was the basal rate that I really had. To, on, honestly, I think I almost halved it by the end of it. Um, and it, it's just crazy learning learning about yourself really isn't it yeah it is and it's sort of like you become your own science experiment um, <laughs> yeah. and, and just to see sort of what your balance is going to be and then also you feel good about i mean it feels good to like win or like figure figure something out or solve a problem so you know you get to have that um kind of on a daily basis you know if because uh, ultimately it's just guessing with a little bit of research and then hey it's like you're right within the number that you should be in and then you feel good about it Definitely, mini victories all the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've had diabetes for 25 years. I imagine that you've got some uh, funny, crazy, high blood sugar, low blood sugar stories in there somewhere. <laughs> yes. Um, oh, goodness, which one? Um, I'm quite fortunate in that in terms of severe hypos, I've had very few um, over the 25 years. Um, my fiancé, we, um, we traveled to Italy last year, and... Um, I think we'd been together just over a year by then and he hadn't, I mean, he knew I was diabetic, of course, but I don't think I'd ever had a proper hypo around him. And we'd wondered, we'd, yeah, we'd been doing a touristy day and we must have walked, goodness, about, I don't know, six miles by the end of this day. And at one point I stopped and I, I was desperate to see this building and he'd carried on walking. I was like, Andrew, come back, come and see this thing. And, um, and I ended up calling it some really awful names out of nowhere. And he was looking at me as if I was absolutely crazy. And then I realized I was having 
a really bad hypo because I was absolutely fuming. I was so angry about <laughs> almost nothing. Um, so we sat down and we got the Skittles sweets out and just chilled out for a bit. And since then, he's always called me the blood sugar badger um, for moments like that. I don't know why, but that's the, become the nickname. That is a hilarious nickname. Um, <laughs> I know. The, I, know, I know in particular a few of uh, our listeners are going to really love that name. So uh, I can't wait to talk to them <laughs> about it. Yeah. It's funny, though, because I don't think he'd realized... Uh, the, yeah, how how much a hypo could affect your mood, and out of nowhere, I I was just the angriest person ever from <laughs> a really nice walk. So just on yeah. vacation, just very very upset. <laughs> yeah, the only thing is the problem is now is that if I am genuinely upset about something, he thinks I'm having a hypo, and it's like no, I just I'm just a little bit annoyed with you right now. A classic man reaction, you know, just blaming <laughs> it on the blood sugar. Definitely. <laughs> uh, it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, being abroad. Uh, I was traveling in Japan uh, last fall alone and uh, similar situation. I had been walking a whole lot more than I normally had. I think I had walked five or six miles in the day already. And I was kind of in the middle of this very long hike up of uh, up a shrine that was just beautiful. Um, and fortunately, in Japan, they have vending machines everywhere. So I probably, I was probably two miles into this hike up this shrine, and there was a vending machine up there. But I remember, like, I was sweating, and I was like, "Oh, well, is, am I just working out? It's kind of hot outside." And then, and then I like took a step, and I was like, "Whoa!" Uh, oh. <laughs> just uh, you just felt that, you know, that hypo oh, no. kind of. Uh, but I was there was a vending machine right there, so it's always interesting, you know, when you're traveling, uh, some of those interesting quirks that you may not get either in the u.s or uk or wherever you're from yeah oh goodness that's lucky always good to carry a little snack on you though eh yeah for, oh and I, cer I certainly had like a granola bar but i think i was uh just right then a, an ice cold coca-cola was kind of the the what the doctor ordered <laughs> yeah oh good <laughs> Uh, so you, you bring up a good point as well. Uh, what are the things that you always carry with you, uh, either when you're traveling or, um, you know, when you've got a long work day or you're going from, uh, I imagine it's a pretty busy schedule going from dental surgeon to training for pageants. Uh, I imagine you don't have a whole lot of free time to just sit around. So uh, probably have to leave the house every day with all of your stuff in tow. Yes. Um, yeah, I've always got a spare pair of high heels in the in the car as well. <laughs> always prepared. Um, in terms, yeah, I'll always um, have a snack on me. As you said, a granola bar usually does the job. Um, I always try and carry just a tube of sweets as well, just in case. Although it is sometimes a bit tempting having them there. Oh, totally. Uh, <laughs> that's always the catch-22, right, is you don't want to put a candy bar in your gym bag uh, because then you'll just eat it <laughs> um but anything but, oh, i'm sorry go ahead sorry i'm just i'm glad i'm not the only one honestly oh definitely not um i could think of four or five uh more diabetics off the top of my head right now who would uh, echo that sentiment so um, <laughs> we're definitely not alone and that's super important to realize right um we're all kind of going through the same things and as you know our uh you know, behaviors change and as, you know, technology starts to increase and we start, uh, you know, shifting over to pumps, I'm sure everyone has had the same uh, questions about their medication or about how to prepare or how to train for something or how to adjust their diet. And I think that's 
where we have to kind of join together as a community and share what we've learned so that somebody who may be just recently diagnosed uh, can come on and find that as and use it as a resource or people who maybe just uh, had been afraid to make a change or maybe someone had told them that um, it wouldn't be safe or it wouldn't be a good idea that they'll be able to find inspiration from that. Definitely. Um, I meant to say actually something that what are your consultants like? What are your endocrinologists like? Are they very supportive or do you find, do you struggle um, to kind of convey your message to them ever? Uh, mine are extremely supportive. Um, and I think that's something that I didn't really, uh, maybe I took for granted or I didn't really realize uh, was so drastically different uh, than some other people's experience because uh, I was diagnosed at age 16 at Children's Medical Center of Dallas, which is a like top five children's hospital in the world. Uh, and they have, I think, the best or the number one endocrine wing um, in the United States. So I had the best experience you can get. And I didn't, yes. I didn't know that. Um, so I, uh, you know, just my naivete, I, I assume that everybody had the similar experience. But, you know, for example, in small towns uh, with not as many resources or not as many doctors or as many hospitals, um, you know, I know, for example, some guests have come on and said that they didn't have a very good diagnosis experience and that their doctor really didn't know, um, you know, was, didn't have as good education on type 1 diabetes and what was possible. Oh, so, wow. Um, so I think it, it really just depends. And that's what... Um, when I when I kind of set out to start this, something that I had in mind is like if someone didn't have a good diabetic diagnosis experience, uh, at least we can put out a lot of stories about people who are, um, you know, showing that even if someone told you that you can't do something, uh, that there are people out there that are actually doing it. Um, and so I think that was, um, you know, a huge part of what we're trying to do here. Definitely. I am. Um, I've. I have to admit, in, in um, over the past um, maybe two or three years, I've had some. I've struggled with my control a fair bit, and at one point, um, I went to see a clinical psychologist um, just to have a chat about why I was finding things so difficult. And because I've been competing in pageants for a long time, one of their first questions was, "Are you not controlling your um, your diabetes so that you can stay thin?" And I just. I mean, there are ways of saying things, but um, it's it, it's not actually the first time that that um, a, a medical professional has suggested that I am deliberately not looking after my diabetes. Um, yeah, for for uh, aesthetic, I suppose, reasons, and I just find that unfortunately sometimes. I mean, I've I've met some really fantastic consultants, but I've also met some some who who really don't seem to understand the kind of emotional part of, of being diabetic, which is sad. It is. And I think, you know, first of all, that, uh, what a terrible question to ask someone. Um, for, <laughs> right? For, um, so, um, <laughs> I just looked at him as if he was, I just couldn't believe he even asked me that. Oh, dear. And, and yeah, you know, that's... Um, I think that right, uh, that right there is in, in, uh, is a microcosm of the problem, right? Um, mm -hmm. that, you know, this, that they, that either someone would discount the, you know, control issues that you were having or, uh, you know, thinking that it's so easy or that because other people are doing it, it's not unique to everyone's problems. I think like everyone 
deals with type 1 diabetes in their own way. Everyone's body is different, and every day, for that matter, no matter how well you plan it, and I know you can speak mm-hmm. to this from your childhood experience where you're eating the same thing at the same time every day, your numbers were still different. Yeah. Um, because it's there is no perfect template, you know. So um, I think trying to find that balance and really show people that, you know, this isn't, it's not an exact science all the time. You know that you have a, have to have a little variance, and sometimes you know you're trying your best, or you just want to find whatever the best solution is, and really need help, not judgment. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, that's a, a really good point. Help, not judgment. It's they're so different, but yeah, some people just really don't get that. And, and um, you know, I'm sure you have other you know type one diabetic friends in the UK. Um, and you know how uh, I, I spoke with uh, someone from T1 International uh, recently, um, and talking about you know different healthcare and different insulin, uh, you know, sort of the costs of insulin and diabetic supplies throughout the world. Uh, what's that like in the UK? Um, well, in the UK, we're really fortunate to have the National Health Service. So. Um, no diabetic pays for any of their insulin, any of their uh, needles, blood testing equipment. Um, no, all of it is covered by the NHS. Um, the only things that aren't covered um, are uh, the continuous glucose monitors. If you want one permanently, um, you can have one for a few weeks on the NHS just to get things back under control. Um, diabetic pumps, um, if your control has been poor for a while or you're really struggling with highs or lows um, that's also available on the NHS um, so we are really really fortunate um, when it comes to, ca- uh, to, to yeah to treatment and care that's great and I think um, you know I'm just now that I've uh, you know become more exposed to the diabetic community just realizing the the different struggles that diabetics go through uh, all over the world I think for example uh, the example that they used at T1 International was people in Kenya, um, where the average household income is about 450 American dollars a month, uh, and diabetic supplies cost uh, at minimum 150 dollars a month. Um, oh my so goodness! Just a dramatic pr- um, portion of their income um, that just debilitates them, and uh, and that 150 dollars isn't. 10 test strips a day and enough insulin for the month that's fresh and, you know, uh, great meters and pumps. It's often, you know, expired insulin and, you know, one test strip a day. So it's just, you know, it's an extreme challenge globally. And so we're trying to, um, you know, the work that they're doing at T1 International is really great to try to create awareness uh, and, you know, institute global uh, insulin reform. Oh my, I had no idea of that. That's incredible. And neither did I. And I, and I honestly hadn't even thought about it. And much like you said uh, earlier in our chat, um, my, I went through most of my life with diabetes not really wanting to be a part of the diabetic community or uh, not necessarily that I didn't want to, but I just saw myself as wanting to be normal. And I also <laughs> had diabetes. I didn't want to like bring it, uh, highlight it in myself. Yeah. Uh, and so, you That's know, ne- sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, my, my dad, as I said, he's a, is a doctor. And um, over the years, he's been encouraging and encouraging and encouraging me to just try the pump. Um, but I always had this, as, as you just said, I always had this thing of not wanting to feel ill. And I, in my head, wearing a pump would mean that I had 
a, a condition. Um, but it, it's a bit counterproductive in that, yeah, if I wear a pump, my, my health would be a lot better. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm less likely to have any problems. And, and the way he uh, eventually put it forward to me is, Zara, if, if you can't see properly, you, you wear some glasses. If your pancreas isn't working, you should wear a pump. And it's so true. It's so true. It's about adjusting your life so that it can be as normal as possible, not trying to be normal and, and meaning that, yeah, you're not looking after yourself and, and, and developing complications. Right. Well, Laura, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Um, I know you said that you have the, uh, you know, the next round, the sort of the global portion of the Miss Galaxy competitions uh, on U.S. soil. Uh what uh, when when does that happen, and uh, how can we you know find you on social media and uh, and get in touch with you if if our uh, listeners want to find you? Oh, Brill, yes. Um, so the international final of Miss Galaxy will be um, held in Orlando, Florida, um, and it will be on the August the thirteenth. So really, yeah, really looking forward to that. Um, if you'd like to follow my journey and just my adventures and preparations for the final. Um, please have a look on Facebook, um, www.facebook.com forward slash Miss Galaxy England 2016. Thank you. Great. Yeah. And we will obviously, um, you know, publish links to that when we, uh, when we finish our write up. Um, uh, if you were going to tell, uh, one thing to a diabetic, um, what would it be? Uh, someone who is either recently diagnosed or who may be struggling, what would you tell them? It's not all bad. <laughs> Just stay strong, get on with it, and it will be okay. I love it. It's Brill. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you like our words. I do. I'm definitely going to steal that one. I'm going to be using it and making people uh, uncomfortable with it. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, thank you so much for making the time. Um, I really appreciate it. I know this is going to be a great interview. Uh, and best of luck to you in the Miss Galaxy competition, and I can't wait to hear about it. We'll have to have you on again after uh, the competition in Orlando. Uh, yeah, that would be brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> now I feel self-conscious saying it. I don't, no, no don't. <laughs> yeah, just, just keep using it. It's, it's important. Yeah, that would be brilliant. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it. Nice to have um, spoken to you. Want to get involved with diabetics doing things but don't know where to start? How about sending an email to Rob? at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.